0: What is up everybody? Welcome back to Turn on the Jets Digital Presents Draft Season. I am your moderator, DA Osorio. And guess what? We are coming to you live from the future. We have all made it through the portal that got us to 2021. So we are here. Um it is Sunday, January 3rd, 2021. By the time you guys hear this, Adam Gase will no longer be the New York Jets head coach. Although let's be frank, he probably he's probably not been the coach for the last like 10 weeks it feels like. Uh I'm joined by co-host James Kuntz live from Jersey but getting ready to go back to Chicago the home of Pat Fitzgerald and Joe Bellick who are ready to hit you guys with all all draft takes all the time guys how are you guys doing happy new year
1: oh happy new year Dabin feeling good man
0: yeah, yeah, I'm and feeling good because you don't have to you don't have to root for Adam GaSe anymore. And James, I know you're feeling good because Pat Fitzgerald just announced recently, as it, about 20 minutes ago, that he will be taking interviews this year. Which I you had a really good you had a really good uh, point, which I I think makes perfect sense. I think this is his practice run for for next year for when he takes the Chicago Bears job for Matt Nagy when he's let go after they foolishly give Mr. Bisky a hundred million dollars. Um, but let's dive right in, guys. Let's dive right in. We we, we are. You know We're recording this after the college football semifinal, and we'll have a lot to talk about there, but as you guys know, the format, seven rounds, three minutes each of draft talk, we will jump right in to our weekly grade, the mock segment, and uh, we're going to do this one, so recently what you guys have seen us do is we usually take one pick. This mock draft that we're grading this, this week is a two-round mock draft, and we wanted to look at both the Seattle pick and the, the very coveted pick at the top of round two, right? which might as well be another first round pick, right? Like considering just the movement that you see around those picks. Um, So this mock comes from, this is the second mock of Dalton Miller that we've graded this, this, this uh, season of draft season. So let's jump right in. Uh, so Joe, I'll start with you. What did you think of what Dalton did with the Seattle pick and, and the top pick at 33 um, and we'll circle back to what he does with the top pick, but let's focus very much on 20, 27 and 33. That's fo- what, what do you, how do you think he did with these two picks in this mock?
1: Yeah. Why Davis with the Seattle pick? I absolutely love this pick makes a lot of sense for many reasons. First, have you guys seen the program? That's a football movie movie from the nineties.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> James wouldn't have because it came out before James was born, but we saw it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, listeners, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. You'll love it. One of the main characters in the movie, Alvin Mack, well, Wyatt Davis is his real-life son. And for me, that's almost grounds enough to draft him. I just thought that was really cool. Um, But yeah, in all seriousness, besides the Alvin Mack reference, this is a solid choice. The interior is in desperate need for an upgrade, and Davis is one of my favorite guys in this draft. He's taken a bit of a step back this season, but I'm not really concerned with that going forward. He's scheme versatile and perfect, really perfect for the zone system they should run when drafting a quarterback like Wilson, and we'll talk more about that later. So this is an A minus for me, only because I, you know, and you know, I draft Christian Darrisaw, who who's still on the board here. Um, as far as the tra- Travis Etienne pick, uh, the second round pick, in general, I'm not a big fan of taking running back early, and I have some reservations, but I still ended up liking this pick, and I think it's more of a realistic option than people realize. Joe Douglas, who was a draft guy in Philadelphia, we all know that, was part of the team that selected running back Miles Sanders in the second round of 2019, so not out of the realm of possibilities here. Plus, if you're drafting Wilson, hopefully you're bringing in a coach like, uh, like a Shanahan, a type of coach, uh, which, uh, again, we'll discuss in another round today. So somebody who runs a, a heavy outside zone run scheme, it would be wise to bring in a stud back to execute that concept, because it's really the catalyst to making all other things work within that type of offense. So my reservation is not really with position taken, but Etn himself, I see him as more of an inside zone gap type of runner. Not to say he can't be successful with an outside zone concepts, but I, know, I don't know if he's the guy you'd want in a predominantly outside zone type of scheme. Still, I, I do like the approach of taking a running back here uh, when you drafted a quarterback like Wilson. So I, I gave this pick a B
0: yeah and I will say I, as I was watching the college football semis and seeing Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers just absolutely dominate the Clemson front, I definitely said to myself, well, and you know, I put this in our group chat, I think Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers are probably the best guard center tandem in the in the entire country. I think I think that they're that they're that good together, and I know you've been. Driving the Wyatt Davis train In terms of like He's one of your He's one of the prospects That you do like And I think honestly It's good positional value To add an interior Offensive lineman Uh, Pat Elflane has been good Right Uh, But I think you need To shore up the other side And one of the things That I mentioned During the season Was that a lot of folks Were saying that McGovern didn't look good But a big reason Why McGovern didn't look good This year early on Was because of why It was similar to how Matt Paradis Didn't look good last year They had to cover a lot For Greg Van Rowan And then once you saw GVR leave the lineup And and Elflane was inserted Then you kind of saw The offense line stabilized. So I, I, I like to pick my, myself. James, you tweeted out something this week. You said the Jets should not take a running back in the top 60 picks. <laughs> right. And that got some that got a lot of Jets Twitter, you know, up in arms because they believe that, you know, no, we take every talented offensive player. But there is a rhyme and a reason to this. But I'm interested to what are, what are your thoughts on picks 25 taking Wyatt Davis and then Travis Etienne at 33?
2: Yeah, I think Joe did a really good job touching on the Wyatt Davis pick. I agree with him. I think it'd be a good pick. I think there are a lot of different um, versatile linemen who could possibly be the pick at, uh, at that Seattle pick. You know, it could be Elijah Vera Tucker. If he gets there, maybe Rashawn Slater. I've seen it on a few mock drafts. Not sure if he gets there, probably unlikely. Um, So I, I get that pick. I think it makes a lot of sense. Now with respect to ETN at the top of round two, um, I did send out a tweet this weekend about why we shouldn't take a running back within the top 60. And, The reason is because running back is a very easy position to find. There are a lot of them. It's not very difficult to find somebody who's competent. Um, And given the fact that this team has a lot of holes, I don't think that we should take the least position, the least valuable position in football with a premium pick. And I know that Joe mentioned the Miles Sanders pick, which is a pick that Joe Douglas made, I think in this last draft in Philly, but the fundamental difference between that draft and this coming draft is that Joe Douglas already had like an all pro offensive line in Philadelphia. And this was before all the injuries started happening on that offensive line. And so that was much more of a luxury pick where they could do it and it would make sense and you could justify it. But I think with here, it's just all about building a foundation of a team and, um, I just have a hard time, you know, seeing you know Miles Gaskin, the seventh round pick having a really good season, and the forty ers predicating their entire run game on undrafted free agents and guys that they're paying two million dollars a year for and think that it's an important thing to draft a running back with the top pick. So that's why I'm very against it.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, I, mean, I-, I-, I agree with James on that, but I mean, my- one of my main points was that, if they're drafting somebody like in this mock, like a Zach Wilson, and you're bringing in Shanahan, they are going to be executing that outside zone. And it is, you can find good running backs, but when you have the opportunity to maybe find a good one in the first or second round, like I would go Najee Harris here. I wouldn't hesitate to take him if I drafted somebody like Wilson and I brought in a, somebody who was, you know, deploying a Shanahan type of offense. But yeah, I completely understand what James is saying, but my, me liking this pick really has more to do with kind of putting that offense together. And some of the best running backs in the league, when you look around the league, really they're found in the first or second round. I mean, you know, as far as running back as a whole, yeah, you can find them late, but the best backs in the league are definitely found within those two, within those two rounds.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you can, you can see that when we look at guys like Zeke, right. You look at Dalvin Cook. Right. You look at Derrick Henry. I think also, but I will say, I, 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 I like the points that you both made. I think James's point about the, the offensive line, like we're talking about, you know, they had Jason Kelsey, they had Jason Peters, they had uh, Brandon Brooks. Uh, and then this year they lost Brooks to injury. Right. Uh, Kelsey wasn't as effective because he didn't have Brooks next to him. Right. And then Peters, who they signed to play guard, they then had to pay him tackle money because their left tackle got hurt and was out for the season too. So there were a lot, there were definitely a lot of injuries there. I'm curious to see what Joe Douglas does at running back, because again, there's some names that are going to hit free agency guys like Jamal Williams, Marlon Mack, guys that his front office are familiar with. I wonder if they opt to take that approach and then maybe add a guy in the draft, maybe in, maybe with, a pick that they get from, from the Sam trade, maybe in rounds three or four, as opposed to taking him the top 60 or does he look at it the way you're saying it, Joe, does he say, you know what, I'm drafting a young quarterback. I need to give him a running game because one of the things that doomed Sam Darnold here in New York uh, that were outside of his control was the fact that Le'Veon Bell, wasn't used appropriately by Adam Gase, right? And, I, and and you've seen the difference too. Le'Veon Bell goes to Kansas City and he's averaging four yards a carry. He was averaging 3.3 here. So that's a big difference, right? And if he, if he gave us four yards a carry consistently here, maybe he's still here, right? And I think that that falls under Adam Gase's thing. Um, yeah, and, and,
1: and, another, and another thing I'd like to mention as far as, you know, James mentioned the offensive line, um, you know, the run blocking hasn't been all that bad. It's actually improved this year, you know, and continuity in a zone run scheme is more important than, say, in a gap. And considering these guys have never played with each other before, the improvement in run blocking has been really Im- impressive for from my, from my end. And if you're adding a guy like Wyatt Davis now with that, with that other pick, well, you, you kind of maybe could have the luxury of selecting that running back in that spot you know, considering. And
0: that's that's going to be interesting. That's going to be interesting how Douglas views that, because again, if he drafts Wyatt Davis and then say he pours big money into Joe Tooney or Brandon Scherf, then suddenly does he view it as a luxury that he has? That's that's why free agency is going to be so key. Um, Let's jump right into round two. And this is, this is, this, this round was based off of questions that we were getting uh, from Jets fans who were saying, well, you know, if we hire this coach, we need to draft this quarterback. And if we hire this coach, we need to draft this quarterback. Um, So, What we're going to do now is we're going to marry coach and quarterback. James, I'm going to start with you. You have Justin Fields. He is who you have taken with the second pick overall. Give me the coach that has made that choice that you just know, like, listen, Fields can be plugged right into the system.
2: That coach is Brian Dable. Um, Brian Dable has had success with much less to work with. You know, obviously Josh Allen had a lot of um, raw physical ability, but he wasn't very accurate. He made poor decisions. Um, and so what Brian Dable did was he built an offense around the quarterback. And I think if Brian Dable drafted Justin Fields, we would legitimately have a star QB on this team. Um, I think what makes Brian Dable a good play caller is that number one, he tailors the game plan to the strengths of the quarterback. He uses the QB on designed runs, but doesn't do it so much such that it imperils the health of the quarterback. Um, he uses motion effectively in the passing game to, you know, tip the hand of whether it's a zone or man coverage, you know, obviously those things can change and pre-snap looks aren't golden, but they are a good indicator. Um, And then I think the other thing is that like, if you want somebody who um, knows where football is going, I think, Brian Dable is very much on the cutting edge of the passing game in the NFL. And while the run game, I think, is lacking, and I've heard a lot of valid criticism of the Bills' run game and, and how it doesn't uh, particularly like, move anybody in the play-action game, um, you know, the pass game is where you win games. And Brian Dable has shown the ability to take somebody who's raw and inaccurate and turn them into one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And there's no reason why he couldn't do even more with Justin Fields.
0: And I will say Justin Fields is more talented coming into this draft than Josh Allen was. Like he's a better quarterback. And I think that that, that's got to be exciting for Jet fans to take a quarterback with as much talent as Fields and place him with a coach who's clearly done a lot with a quarterback that a lot of people thought would have been out of the league by now. And he's in the MVP discussion as of this point or who wouldn't have earned a second contract. Joe, you have Jets Twitter's favorite quarterback, Zach Wilson, the Mormon Marauder. Give me the quarterback that picks him at two and who's the bright fit for him. Yeah, I don't know if he's the, the favorite anymore, but, uh, but
1: yeah, um, I, I, I love what, what uh, James said about Brian Dable. I mean, I think he could pretty much fit with anybody, um, but I talked a little bit about this in, in the mock round. I think Zach Wilson with anybody from the Shanahan coaching tree, like an Arthur Smith or a Mike McDaniel, who's the uh, run game coordinator for the 49ers right now would be a great fit. I don't know if I want McDaniel as a head coach right now, but he'd be the perfect offensive coordinator for a player like Wilson. So in essence, a coach who likes to throw out of the gun, mixing in some RPOs and zone read with a heavy outside zone run scheme, working that play action pass from traditional under center looks is a guy I'd be looking for. Um, Wilson himself himself spent almost 20% of his snaps under center in 2020. And I don't know if people realize this, but Zach Wilson's rise this year seems to coincide with the fact that BYU transitioned this past season into an outside zone run team. In fact, they ran on over 50% of their runs compared to, I think it was 26% in 2019. And sometimes I do wonder if Wilson's rise has something to do more with the system than his actual skill set, because this scheme, when executed properly, can make a quarterback look way better than he is. Uh, When you're hitting the outside zone consistently, it opens up the entire offense. Play action pass, bootlegs, misdirection, you name it. At the same time, there is no denying that he did flourish within that BYU offense in general. So I don't want to totally knock him for that. Um, Still, um, it would behoove a team to bring somebody in who will deploy a similar type of offense. I think that's the only way to really maximize Wilson's potential. So again, an Arthur Smith or a Mike McDaniel would work really well with him
0: that and and arthur smith is a guy who and, it's, and this is so interesting about just the ebbs and flows of a season arthur smith was a guy that through four games of the season when ryan Tannehill was lightning up and was being considered an mvp candidate was a guy that a lot of folks are talk were are talking about then how a lot of folks are talking about brian dable now right which is what's kind of interesting like at the beginning of the year arthur smith was the offensive coordinator that was going to get a bunch of interviews and then now you've kind of seen that cool off a little bit and more folks are focusing on the bills offensive coordinator so it's going to be interesting to see just how Joe Douglas approaches uh, his first time hiring his own head coach. Um, because as we said, by the time you hear this, Adam Gates will no longer be here. And that's something to celebrate. So I hope you find your way to your nearest drink of choice. And it doesn't have to be alcoholic. Um, but let's go right into, uh, let's go right to round three. And Joe, this is all you. I, so one of the conversations that has come up notoriously during draft season is, The Jets, you can't take best player available. That's not a thing. You're not supposed to do that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. However, however, what folks fail to realize when that happens is that best player available to the New York Jets doesn't mean best player available to the Dallas Cowboys. And so Joe, this is, this is your chance to shine. You have a minute and a half sell Jets Twitter on what BPA means. So that way they can stop asking us.
1: (laughs) Yeah. What is, what is BPA? Uh, What does that even mean? Right. Um, I think for some GMs, specifically guys like Mike McKagan, it clearly means taking your highest ranked player, regardless of other factors. And I think that's the kind of approach that gets a general manager fired sooner rather than later. Then you have general managers that abide by a different strategy. You know, James pointed out that the Seattle pick will most likely be best player available at cornerback, edge, wide receiver, or offensive line. And I like how he combined positional need with the best player available. And I think he's on the right track, but I'd like to expand on that. I think there are some other critical factors that determine who the best available player is for a given team and how their board is put together. You know, uh, specifically character, scheme fit, especially with the new coach, supply and demand to an extent, positional value and need, as James mentioned, core beliefs like for Joe Douglas building in the offensive trenches, and overall team building strategy or mindset. You know, let's talk about scheme fit. Let's say the Jets do hire Arthur Smith. Well, a running back like Najee Harris, who can play that Derrick Henry role in his wide zone system, could end up, end up higher on their board. Uh, we know, and I discussed this earlier, how important executing that concept is to the offense as a whole. Um, look at a team like the Ravens that selected tight ends in both the first and third rounds in 2018 because of their importance to Greg Roman's scheme. I mean, they even took a tight end over Lamar in that draft, right? Um, now, how about mindset? Last season, for instance, the Panthers general manager admitted that they went into the draft with a defensive mindset, and that clearly impacted how they put their board together and what determined who the best available player was for them. I mean, they ended up taking defense with every pick. I think that's the first time that's ever happened. I don't think that was the exact plan, but they clearly had an agenda, right? So I'm bringing this up so that people can be open-minded to what best player available actually means, especially with the young quarterback and a new head coach in the mix, Because like you said, Dalton, it means something different to every team and can change from year to year, draft day to draft day, or even round to round, depending on how the draft breaks.
0: And I think, and I think you make a really good point, Joe, about when, when, for example, the Jets could be on the clock at, you know, pick 25, 26, 27. And this is after a free, now, mind you, before the draft, they could have said, you know what, we're going to take an edge with that pick or a corner, but say, you know, something happens and they're able to trade for Stephon Gilmore, and I'm just using that as a random example. I guarantee you that if they trade for Stefan Gilmore or if they fill that need with another cornerback, that they are not going to take a cornerback in round one, because I'm pretty sure Joe Douglas is going to say all right I have one guy, let me go see where else I can fill a need with the best player available to marry those two things. James One of the things that you've pounded the drum for this offseason, you know, and again, it feels like we've been in the offseason since Halloween is the need for the Jets to take a CEO like head coach. Right. And you've mentioned guys like Pat Fitzgerald. Right. And, And I will preface this by saying, guys, yes. James goes to Northwestern, but it's not a bias for him because he's been banging the drum for Pat Fitzgerald since before he enrolled in, in Northwestern. Um, but you, but you've mentioned the need for taking a CEO like head coach. Can you explain to Jets Twitter what that means and why you think that's more important now, as opposed to taking, you know, scheme a scheme specific guy or a side of the ball specific side?
2: For sure. Yeah. And I first want to tip my cap to Joe. That was a phenomenal overview of BPA and all the different factors. Um, so I actually don't really like the term CEO head coach because it implies that there is another type of head coach besides somebody who is overseeing the entirety of the organization. I mean, by definition, that's what a head coach is. So to some extent, I don't like the bifurcation there seems to be between a CEO head coach and, you know, a play caller or whatever other type of head coach there is. Um, Cause I think even um, head coaches who are hired, um, who have extensive play calling background would acknowledge that the most important important part of being a head coach has nothing to do with play calling. It's about situational adjustments, practice plans, dealing with like crises that come up in the middle of the season. Um, You know, having like a say in the game plan um, you know, run pass ratio, those types of things. Um, It's more high level things, problem solving, putting out fires than it is, you know, what should I call on third and six from like the 40 yard line. Um, And so I think too often we conflate like, find a good offensive play caller with finding a good head coach i think i'm guilty of that sometimes as well um but really the most important thing is does somebody have a track record um and a rolodex to build out a staff and be a good leader for an, for an organization um and you know that's why i've been a supporter of pat fitzgerald but um there are lots of other coaches besides him who can effectively do that so that's what i think being a ceo head coach means yeah
0: and i and i think jet fans there were and and joe are, you know are are our boss for all intents and purposes, did a poll when the Jets hired Adam Gase two years ago. The poll received 6,000 votes. 92% of those votes said that Adam Gase was a bad hire. I've never seen a poll like that, I, like that Joe has taken. Like, and again, and we've lived through, you know, whether the Jets should keep Rex Ryan, whether the Jets should keep John Idzik. I've never seen Jets Twitter so united in the fact that Adam Gase would be a bad head coach. And the selling point for Adam Gase for a lot of folks was, that they thought the 9% that thought he was a good hire was that he was an offensive play caller and he focused on the quarterback and Adam Gates is a guy who clearly proves that if you only care about one thing, you are not going to be a good, a good head coach. Um, let's jump right into round five guys. We, we've talked a lot about offensive linemen right and the Jets go into this offseason with Makai Becton solidified at left tackle. No, they're not drafting Pene and moving Makai Becton to right tackle. You're also not drafting Suel at two and moving him to a position he hasn't played since high school. So that let's just get that out of the way now. I had to say it because I'm tired of getting the scenarios in my in <laughs> it said to me. But they they enter the offseason with Makai Becton solidified at left tackle. I think it's safe to say that Pat Elflane will be back next year, if not starting competing for a position. I think I think that he's done enough to do that. McGovern is locked in at center, and then now you have. The other guard position and potentially right tackle because George Fant you can cut him and save a ton of money, right? So Joe, I'm going to start with you. Tell me about the offensive line class. You mentioned Wyatt Davis. You have mentioned saw You've mentioned Rashawn Slater. Give give me give me your best case scenario, man. Who is who? If is there somebody in this draft? That you would pair with Makai Becton and think you're set for the next ten years in terms of bookends. Is there guards that aren't being mentioned? Would you target a center and move McGovern to the other guard spot? Just give me some give me some good juju about this draft class from the offensive line perspective.
1: Well, I, I, and a guy Alex Leatherwood really comes to mind when when talking about this because of his experience at guard, right guard specifically when he started his career at Alabama, and I've consistently talked about how. Not I, I think they should keep fant this year, but the following year that they should probably cut him. Um, I, you know, he's gonna be making about $10 million a year. And when you're when guys in the league like Jack Conklin are making $14 million and, you know, a Joe Tooney or a Brandon Scherf will com- command about around 12 or 13 million himself, I think it would be wise to, to to cut him loose and to to draft a guy like Leatherwood who could potentially start his guard out, his career out at right guard, and then slowly move him into right tackle um, next year. So that that is that is a really, a move that I would love to see Joe Douglas make either even in the first round or with that second round uh, second round pick and I think that could really do a great job of uh, uh, solidifying this offensive line for
0: the future. I like that you mentioned Alex Leatherwood who I think is one of the prospects that hasn't really gotten a lot of attention which is really interesting right because again he plays for a premier program that usually tends to vault vault you up in conversations but. All the tackle conversation we've seen has really been about Suell, Slater, Darisaw, right? Like those have been the big three almost, right? And this is a draft class that, again, you mentioned Leatherwood, but also has a guy like Walker Little who was projected to go, you know, really high last year. And then, you know, he broke his leg and now he's in in this draft class, Um, you know, and I think the scheme is obviously going to determine that. But I love that you keep bringing up the fact that this should not be just a one-year project. Like, yes, you may keep George Fant this year, which maybe makes you more likely to take a guy like Alex Weatherwood, right? Alex Leatherwood, right? But in 2022, you cut Fant, move Leatherwood over to right tackle, then guess what? Suddenly now you've invested resources that helped you this year and the following year as you continue to groom your young quarterback. James, you, we've talked about this a lot this year, too, from Jet fans who some Jet fans believe that the offensive line has let Sam Darnold down. And that's why you need to draft Penny Suella, too, because, you know, we need to build a we need to build the wall in front of Sam. Right. We need to build the wall in front of Sam. But uh, what are your thoughts just on how the Jets O-line has done this year? Joe, you mentioned a really good point earlier. They've been better run blocking there's been an improvement so whereas a guy you plug in a guy like Wyatt Davis suddenly maybe you become one of the better offensive lines in 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 the league James what are your thoughts on how the Jets offensive line has done uh and do you have any concerns going into next year uh you know especially as if you're drafting a young quarterback
2: yeah so as far as I'm concerned Um, left tackle center and right tackle. Um, there's not much to do there. I think for me, it's really the two guard spots that are, that deserve attention. Um, I think the center situation is a little unfortunate. Um, Connor McGovern has, um, I would say disappointed expectations and, you know, I was always skeptical of the signing, although I never expressed it, which is definitely one of my regrets. Um, Because, you know, who like sits on the bench for three years and then is like a top 10 center? Like that doesn't that that's like very rare because you would think that he would have the talent to start somewhere else. Like he would find a way to get him on the field. So I was always very skeptical of the way Jets fans, uh, you know, perceive that signing. But regardless, we're locked into that contract. There's nothing we can do. I think with Fant... Um, he's met the contract value. I think it was a good signing. It was a contrarian signing at the time. I think he can get even better because he hasn't played that much, even though he's 27 or 28 years old. Um, same goes for injury. You know, I don't think he's, you know, he's done a good job in terms of staying healthy. Um, he just had a concussion. So I'd say he's a good person to keep around. Um, in terms of left guard and right guard, I'd like to see the Jets sign somebody who's good in free agency, Thune, Scherf, somebody like that. Um, and then I'd like to see them sign maybe some middle market people who can compete with somebody that we draft. Um, I think the goal should be at least one more premium person added this off season, either in the free agency period or in the draft. And I think if we get that we'll be an average offensive line with a little bit of upside. And I think that's a good place to be.
0: I will also say I had this conversation with jet fans, maybe like three years ago, jet fans wondered, well, you know, because they they had released this list of uh, what teams have had the most All Pros and what teams have had the most Pro Bowlers, right? And the Jets were at the bottom of the list, and Jeff and Jeff fans were like, "Well, what does that matter? What does that matter?" And I think this ties into your point really well, James. They very rarely do All Pros hit free agency, right? Like Allen Robinson is an All Pro, and he may hit free agency. Joe Tooney's an All Pro might hit free agency, Brandon Scherf, et cetera, et cetera. There is something about, like, if you're an all-pro, you're not a bad player. You are the upper echelon of players in this league. And the Jets too often do not have guys like that. Right. So being able to add guys like that at positions of need, right? So say say on day one of free agency, Joe Douglas signs Allen Robinson and he signs Joe Tooney. Right. Joe Douglas can go to sleep the rest of the offseason. He doesn't have to do anything else, right? Because now you've you've improved your, your offensive line to almost tenfold because Tooney's that good. And you added Denzel Mims's, you know, like his body double, right? Like the guy that you hope Denzel Mims becomes, and Allen Robinson, and so, so now your young quarterback walks into an incredible situation. I think Jet fans too often think, and this is this has been the constant argument. Well, no, we have to build up the offensive line first. We can't take a quarterback. I'm here to tell you, you can do both, right? You can absolutely do both. Joe, you mentioned this in terms of the Eagles. The Eagles did both. The Eagles got their quarterback and solidified their offensive line. That's what they did, right? They had Jason Peters for a really long time, but they drafted Brandon Brooks. They still had Kelsey. They, they had Lane Johnson, who was one of the better right tackles in the, in the league. And then they drafted, their, and they drafted their quarterback, and they continued to, to add to that offensive line. So I think this notion that you only have to do it one way. So I'm hopeful that on the first day of free agency, you know, and this sounds like the 12 days of Christmas on the first day of Christmas, but on the first day of free agency, I need Joe Douglas to deliver me a number one receiver and an offensive line all pro because I think you don't want to pigeonhole yourself heading into the draft. I think that's the worst thing you can do. I think pigeonholing yourself where then you have to reach for a guy, right? So like, say for example, Joe, and I'll use I'll use your, and this will tie into round six, but I'll use your some of your favorite offensive line prospects. If Darrell Leatherwood, and Slater are all gone at pick 25 and Wyatt Davis, let's say, right? Now, suddenly you're in a scenario where like, say you've signed corner, so you don't want to take a corner and maybe you signed an edge like a Bud Dupree or, 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 or a Judon, right? Now you're faced with a scenario where you have to reach for a guy that maybe you don't really love that much, right? Because all the premier talent has gone at positions that you would take. Um, so I'm just I'm I think I'm really excited for this offseason just to see how Douglas tackles it and who he goes after first because I think that'll set up. But, you know we saw this with with McCagnin, right? He wanted Anthony Barr, C.J. Mosley, and Le'Veon Bell, right? So he kind of put all his all his eggs in those baskets. But then Anthony Barr backs out, right? And then you kind of don't know what to do. Last year, uh, last year Joe Douglas did the same thing. He put all his eggs in Joe Tooney basket. Joe Tooney backed out. So now I'm interested to see what he does. Um, let's go right to round six. We have about 10 minutes to go in this episode. Now, the, the Indianapolis Colts have traded you, the New York Jets, the 50th pick in the draft for Sam Darnold. Now I'm going to go on record and think that that is excessive for Sam Darnold because I do think Sam Darnold has shown that that's his value. However, it came out before we started recording this that Matt Miller said that there are at least 10 teams interested in trading him and that the Jets tra- trading for him and that the Jets believe that their value, the value for Sam Darnold is at least a 2 and an extra day 3 and an extra day 3 pick. So again, and he surprised me with every trade. I didn't think we were going to get too first for Jamal Adams. And here we are. So maybe John Gruden throws us a first round pick for Sam Darnold. Who knows? But for right now, in this scenario, the Indianapolis Colts have traded the 50th pick for Sam Darnold. Joe, I will start with you. Basing it off the Dalton Miller mock we graded earlier. You've seen the players that are available around that pick. Who is your ideal scenario for pick 50, if that's the pick that you get from the Indianapolis Colts based off this mock draft?
1: Yeah, it's a tough choice. Um, and I think one of the hardest things about grading these mocks is that we don't really know what they did in free agency and because that's going to play a huge role. But after going offense with the subsequent two picks, after taking a quarterback in this mock, I could see Joe Douglas at this point addressing an edge or a quarterback here. So a player like Jason away, the edge from Penn state is a very realistic option that I could support. And it makes sense, but based on Joe's history, I, I could see him going offense here too. We we we've seen him and the Eagles go heavy on offense when building around Carson Wentz in 2019. So as much as I like away, he's still very much a developmental prospect. And I'm not going to take an edge here or reach on a corner for the sake of taking an edge or a corner. I think those are the kind of moves that get general managers fired, actually, especially with, with how many good players uh, available here at other positions of need are in this mock. You know, guys like Tylen Wallace, Rondell Moore, Elijah Vera Tucker, Alex Leatherwood, who I mentioned, and Pat Fryermuth, to name a few. So who would I take? Um, one of the critical factors I mentioned earlier played a role here in my final decision the law of supply and demand. With Pat Fryermuth still available, a weak tight end, a weak, weak tight end class, uncertainty at the position for the Jets with, Her- with Herndon, and just a weak league as far as tight ends go, uh, Fryermuth is a guy that would be hard to pass on for me. And we've seen Joe Douglas take a tight end in the second round before Dallas Goddard. So with the 50th pick, um, I have the Jets selecting Pat Fryermuth, a young quarterback's best friend and a stud tight end from, from Penn State. Um, and if the Jets hire like a, a coach like Shanahan from the Shanahan coaching tree, um, I could see him playing that Jonu Smith or George Kittle role potentially.
0: So think about that in this mock, in theory, the Jets could add, you know, again, their quarterback, Wyatt Davis to the offensive line, Travis Etienne at running back and Pat Frayer both at tight end. That's not a bad haul to set up your young quarterback for success. Why not? Jets, <laughs> right, why not? Let's try something different. Right. Pick 50. You're on the clock based off this. Who are you aiming for with this pick?
2: Yeah. So I kind of found the mock draft a little bit unrealistic. There were a lot of consensus fringe first round players who were going in like the late second round. So for me, I tried to narrow it down just for the purposes of a thought exercise, two different players, um, the 50th and 51st overall picks in this mock draft who I think are more realistic. um, And that's Amon Ross St. Brown, wide receiver, USC, and then Rondale Moore, the wide receiver from Purdue. Um, And, For me, it it was kind of a tough decision because on the one hand, Moore has done some incredible things, but I think looking at the game he did play um, this season, I didn't think that he had the same speed and agility and burst as he did previously, and that could be because Could be because of a nagging injury, but I don't know, you know to what extent that will be restored. And then with Amon Ross St. Brown, you saw somebody who previously played the slot, but now has more reps at outside receiver and gives a lot of flashes of Chris Olave. I think is very much in the same in that same mold. So for me, um, the pick was Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, I haven't watched him extensively, but I've watched him enough to love his physicality, the way he blocks. He plays like somebody who's 6'3", 215, even though he's about six foot, maybe one ninety. Um, and I think he, you know, off the field, he's really cool background, but I won't get into that overall. I think it'd be a very good pick. It'd be a safe pick. Um, and I could see it depending, um, on how Joe Douglas wants to layer risk within the draft.
0: So Joe, you've given the young quarterback, a tight end, you know, which is their best friend and James, you go to add up uh, somebody to pair with Denzel Mims. Uh, and again, honestly, I think you can't go wrong with either. I, th- I think you can't go wrong with either. I, I, t- I love both of your picks. um, and I, I don't think I would have been swayed either way in the sense of, like, either one would have been fine. I think, I think that adding offensive skill weapons that can grow with your young quarterback, I think that's the way to go. Um, let's go right into round seven, fellas. So, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I will pat myself on the back now because at 8.01, James Coons asked, what kind of performance do you expect from Justin Fields? And I said, Vince young asked versus USC. Now, for those of us old enough to remember that Vince Young performance, it is probably the single most, the, the most amazing performance I've ever seen from a quarterback on a, on, on a collegiate level, you know, 467 yards, like he just balled. Justin Fields almost matched that. He didn't have the yards, but he had the six touchdowns. And he outplayed Trevor Lawrence, right? Which again, I, you know, we talked about this in the TOJ Slack. Uh, a couple of folks were like, listen, I, I don't think he can solve Venable's, uh, Venable's defense. I don't think he can solve his defense. And he did, right? Like very early on from, from jump. Uh, guys, what did you think of Justin Fields' performance? Joe, I'll start with you. Um, I, and, I, and I will say, and we've been tooting our horn all, all week since the performance because, well, you know, the last couple of days since the performance, because we had Justin Fields as quarterback too. There was no, there was no shrinking for us. There was no like, oh, yeah, no, it's Zach Wilson. It didn't happen. Uh, but there were a lot of Jet fans who were like, oh, yeah, no, Wilson's better. And it's like, Wilson's not even better than Lance. Like, let's not get crazy, but it's, it's fine. Uh, Justin Fields, Joe, what did you think of his performance? Again, not just against a really good Clemson defense, but in the biggest game of his career, going toe-to-toe with Trevor Lawrence, who he's been going toe-to-toe with since high school, he puts on a show like that. What did you think of his performance?
1: Well, I said last week that he would prove the doubters wrong, and he certainly did. Uh, Now he didn't have to throw six touchdowns to do it, but I mean, wow, uh, what a performance, right? Um, I think I want to say, I just want to say that I'm I'm proud of us here at draft season because it seemed like we were the only ones still firm, firm on him as quarterback too. And we didn't let a couple of games sway us from the overall picture. And I think that's just really important from an evaluation standpoint, you know, uh, Trevor had a similar slide his sophomore year and it's completely natural, and normal for a young quarterback to have some bad games. And, you know, I couldn't be happier with happen. And the pick two, pick two is looking really nice right now for, not, for us. And what Fields did, um, I think this kind of maybe sums it up. I don't know if this is um, maybe a little bit too explicit, but my, my friend texted me during the game, a really diehard Jets fan, this is what he said. He said, who needs Viagra when you get six touchdowns from Justin Fields? <laughs> I mean, I think, I think that sums it up pretty well.
0: Oh hey, On that note, James, I'm going to pass it to you. What did you think of how Justin Fields performed? Uh, And because there's a lot of rumors going around that Urban Meyer is going to take the Jags job and take Justin Fields at one, right? Like, so uh, just what did you think of his performance? And would you be happy taking Trevor Lawrence at two?
2: (laughs) Well, I think there are three things. I think number one, Joe hit on it. Um, Props to us. I mean, like, really, we were really standing on an island um, of, you know, surrounded by people who thought that uh, Zach Wilson playing D3 schools, throwing four different route concepts um, was like better than the best athlete in the country. Um, And I think that that took backbone and it's paid off. Um, I think the other thing though, is that Um, fields really answered the moment. People were doubting him. He understood the pressure. You know, there were like millions of dollars in terms of the draft stock fall for him at stake in that game. And he, he exceeded expectations. So I think, you know, for him, I don't think he's really in play at one. I I don't think anybody has the balls to take him over Lawrence, but yeah, I mean, I'd be fine if Lawrence fell to us at two.
0: Yes, we'd be we will take Trevor if if it has to come to that. We will take Trevor Lawrence, uh, who again, like somebody had asked me this too, and you know I'll end on this. Somebody said, well, you know the, the warts that Trevor showed in that game, that's got to make you a little wary of taking him. And I'm like, I I I've never, and again, and I have never in the time that we've done draft season. This is six years. I I'm o- I'm open to changing evaluations of players, but I never change evaluations of players off of one game. One game just doesn't do that for me. Right. Because I think you have to look at the entire body. Right. And that has served me well because, you know, in 2018, I said I had Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield ranked higher than Sam Darnold. So that's turned out well for me. Um, But it, you know, it's just, it's one of those things where it's just one game can't change your evaluation that badly. Um, But Happy Gase's Fired Day to all you listeners. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, Thank you guys for all the feedback so far. It's been great. Thank you guys for listening to every episode. By the time we record again, Adam Gase will be fired. And the New York Jets will officially be on the clock with the second pick, unless the Jaguars do something crazy. Um, But thank you guys for listening. Joe, James, always a pleasure. You guys keep killing it. And we will see you guys next week.